Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. Our mission is to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. Hello, this is Jordan Rich, pleased to announce the 2021 Massachusetts Virtual Prostate Cancer Coalition Symposium. It happens on Friday, May 14th, and information and registration can be found at masspcc.org. In our current series of podcasts, I'll be talking with some of the top flight presenters at the symposium. Today, a chat with Christina Dieli Conright, a PhD with a master's in public health at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Her field of expertise is exercise and kinesiology and she'll be discussing exercise as medicine for prostate cancer survivorship. Christina, share with us a bit more about your presentation, if you will. Yeah, so I am thrilled to speak at this event and share what I believe is a really potent non-pharmacologic or non-drug-based approach to enhancing life and enhancing survivorship for um, men both at risk and diagnosed with prostate cancer, and that is exercise. And so we we use sort of this uh, approach, if you will, or this terminology is exercise is a form of medicine, and it can actually be used to mitigate side effects of treatment. It can be used to reduce risk in certain capacities, can be used to improve various aspects of life during survivorship. And so I'm really going to be focused on all the many of the benefits of exercise mm. across the uh, trajectory there of during treatment and then following treatment, but also a little bit of a discussion on how it can be beneficial for prevention. Just one quick note, you specialize in kinesiology. Can you define what that is for our listeners? Sure, sure. Kinesiology is simply the study of human movement. And so what we do is we, there's there's many different subspecialties. And so my subspecialty and what my lab does is applies the exercise physiology component of kinesiology, which is really how does the body change and adapt when exercise is being performed? And in the setting of cancer, subsequently, how does that impact positively the lives of individuals who've been diagnosed with cancer when they perform exercise? Do we have any real sense of what's happening in the body when the body is in movement, when it's getting the right kind of exercise? I mean, what can you tell us? Yeah, we we know actually quite a bit about the positive effects of exercise just based off of uh, many, many years of investigations of exercise in not just healthy individuals, young individuals, older adults, pediatrics, et cetera. Um, And then more recent years, this has really translated over into the oncology setting. But we do know that exercise can successfully help to regulate diabetes risk factors, cardiovascular disease risk factors. Um, It can help muscle grow. It can help bone grow. Um, It can help to prevent many age-related declines in body systems, Um, even anything so far as helping to maintain muscle mass and bone mass, but all the way up to helping to maintain cognitive function as we start to get older. So there's actually some really profound benefits of exercise. And actually, I think a lot of clinicians are aware of this and are not surprised when we share some of our studies that have had profound results in cancer survivors. It's sort of like one of those, well, of course it does. We know that exercise is great. Um, And I think that, you know, what we're now trying to do is really think about some more unique ways that we can apply exercise to cancer uh, populations to really think about how we can start to improve how patients might respond to treatment or how we might be able to reduce toxicities from treatment using exercise by making the body stronger. So that's where we're actually starting to see some some studies move into that direction as well. And surprisingly, 
and possibly very interestingly, starting to think about can exercise actually promote anti-cancer mechanisms, which a lot of preclinical models and animal studies show that exercise can actually reduce tumor size or um, alter vascularity or blood vessels around a tumor, et cetera, to ultimately reduce tumor growth. Um, that has yet to be translated into a clinical human setting, but there's a lot of promising preclinical work there. That is exciting news, absolutely. And uh, I guess the question is, is it related to our immune system overall when we're in better shape uh, using our bodies? Is it strengthening the immune system? Do we have evidence of that? Oh, quite possibly. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen that evidenced in individuals without a, a history of cancer, um, whereby exercise can can strengthen the immune system. There has been known to be this traditional, what they call J-shaped curve response, whereby if you do too much exercise at too high of a volume or too high of an intensity, it can actually suppress the immune system. But that's usually not what people are actually doing, as you can imagine. Um, they're usually in sort of the middle range, which is uh, sort of the moderate intensity exercise exercise uh, performed chronically over time that can actually be quite quite beneficial on the immune system. A unique area within the cancer realm is within the immunotherapy aspect. Um, you know, immunotherapy treatments have obviously evolved over time. And so now there's early investigation starting to really think about can exercise help patients recover from immunotherapy um, by means of promoting immune system response as well. So there's a lot a lot around the mechanisms there with exercise, immune system being one of them, metabolic being another, regulating glucose and insulin um, and to, to really help stimulate metabolically what's going on in the body. And then of course, there's a whole other slew of hormones that exercise can start to regulate, um, obviously common ones like testosterone and estrogen, but also more so in other, other adaptive fat tissue, excuse me, related hormones, um, leptin, adiponectin, et cetera, where you'll start to see some impact there from exercise as well. You'll be focusing, of course, on prostate cancer. That's the audience for this symposium. What do studies point to when it comes to specific cases of, of prostate cancer? Before we talk prevention, let's talk about those men who have it. Mm -hmm. are, are there stats on, on the success of exercise programming? Absolutely. Um, you know, as far as a specific number, it's a little bit hard to pinpoint it because the literature is just so fluid, but there have been, there's quite a body of, of literature in the area of exercise and prostate cancer. Um, uh, some body of that work has been targeting men on androgen deprivation therapy because of the side effects of ADT, as we'll call it, um, specifically on body composition, where there might be weight gain, decreases in lean mass or muscle mass, thereby increasing risk of cardiovascular disease, et cetera. And so there's been quite a body of work that has focused in on men on ADT, including ourselves. Um, we did a, a resistance exercise or weight training study in a population of men on ADT. And we're successfully able to use ac resistance exercise to actually increase lean mass over the course of a 12-week time period. Um, and there's other studies like that, that that have been successful at demonstrating that as well. Um, regulating metabolic markers, as I mentioned, insulin and glucose that also tie in to the metabolic dysregulation that can occur with ADT um, has also been profoundly looked at. And then of course, not to of course be overlooked, even though I'm focusing on physiology, there's a huge body of work that shows that exercise can improve quality of life 
can reduce depression and mm. fatigue and anxiety and really help with improving overall physical function. How readily can an individual get around? Can they sit and stand? Can they walk around and do activities of daily living? And there's been quite a bit of success in that area with exercise promoting ease of movement just throughout the daily life. Right. You mentioned weight training, and I think that's fascinating to think that it's not all about cardiovascular exercise, although that's a big portion of it. What does weight training and, and resistance training do for the body? Sure, sure. Well, oftentimes when individuals integrate in resistance training, if they're doing it alone, they're trying to really stimulate and train up the muscle. And that can be for the goal of, of muscle hypertrophy or putting on muscle mass, which is what we would probably more commonly think of with, with athletic populations or with young adults who might be trying to put on mass. But it's equally as important as we age because we're working against the grain, if you will. We know that involuntarily we lose muscle mass as we get older. We we have our peak muscle mass around 25 to 30 years of age. And then from there on, we have to try to maintain it or try to continue to increase it. So resistance exercise is a very potent stimulus for muscle hypertrophy to try to get the muscle stronger and to try to get it to grow more. And that's especially relevant for prostate cancer survivors on ADT because the muscle itself takes such a big hit from being on ADT where testosterone is suppressed, which we know is one of the main drivers of muscle integrity and muscle mass. So it's really important for um, these patients to really think about how can we consider, how can we apply resistance training and integrate it into their daily lives in order to help to promote uh, muscle mass and muscle strength. And related to that is also bone health because bone is really mm. stimulated when you put it under tension and resistance trained individuals and epidemiologic and observational studies hands down have stronger bone health and or healthier bones, if you will, compared to individuals who, let's say, for instance, are marathon runners or who have chronically only partaken in aerobic exercise. So it has really strong musculoskeletal implications. And then lastly, the bit I'll add about it, because I'm obviously a huge proponent of resistance exercise, that it actually also has metabolic effects. Uh, you know, muscle is one of the, the main storage sites for glucose. So it's often overlooked. We think, okay, if we want to reduce the risk of diabetes, we need to just go out jogging or run up and down stairs or do something like that. But it's also a contributor to helping to regulate glucose utilization, which can then help to prevent or main manage diabetes. I will keep doing my push-ups with that advice yes. in mind. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> we're talking with Dr. Christina Dieli conright and we're talking about exercise and the benefits. Now, because our population listening to this and, and at the symposium is most likely to be older men, I mean, for the most part, although it does affect younger men, we know, they may be thinking, ah, oh, gee whiz, what kind of exercise program could I do at 75 years old? It might be too late for me. That's quite the contrary, I'm sure. But let's talk a little bit about how you pattern exercise programming as part of the medicine here for people who are older. Sure, absolutely. And it's never too late. So spot on there with that. Um, I would actually approach exercise in an individual, you know, perhaps 70, 75, 80 up the same way I would somebody that is actually younger. The only thing that would be different is, well, actually wouldn't be different is I would just make sure that we are fully aware of any underlying health conditions or any concerns that their healthcare provider might actually have, um, any pre-existing conditions, any injuries, particularly as it pertains to the joints and the muscles um, so that we can be aware of. But really our approach would actually be quite similar. Um, we would wanna get an indication of what that person is currently doing on a regular basis, if anything, in as much detail as possible. And then you know, start from there and start thinking about 
you know, how, what's feasible with them? How many, how many days per week do they think they can start this? Maybe it's one day a week. Um, maybe if they want to try to exercise more than that, maybe they need to break it up into small bouts throughout the day. You know, one of the biggest challenges with integrating exercise and lifestyle is time and finding the time and, and ultimately the motivation to do it. But again, back to your question, we would approach it this very similarly to how we would approach somebody who perhaps might be younger, but because safety is always a concern, mm -hmm. no matter the age. So taking into into um, consideration um, what they've been doing, what their sort of training history is like, if you will. Because um, oftentimes, for instance, somebody may have been a high-level athlete when they were in high school. Well, that actually translates over in many ways when you get older from the standpoint of coordination, flexibility, et cetera. Um, so we take all of that into account, what they've done their whole life and what they're doing now, and then go from there and start with a gradual program that is feasible within the amount of time and uh, motivation that they have at their disposal. Mm. Some of the studies I've read suggest even regular walking, which for some people may be unusual, they haven't done it in a while, has a very positive impact, including on men who have prostate cancer. Absolutely. And related to that is interrupting sitting time. So there's a lot more literature that's coming out both in the prevention side with cancer, but also during survivorship mm. that we need to really start thinking about not sitting as much and taking small breaks every hour. If we're sitting for multiple hours at a time, taking small breaks regularly, for instance, every hour so that we can just get up and, and not sit. Interrupting sitting with walking is a great is a great way to go about um, improving health and improving some of these outcomes we've talked about. We haven't really reflected on those who want to prevent or at least lessen the, the impact of prostate cancer, but I know there's research going on in that area too. Would you like to comment on that, doctor? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so there have been some epidemiologic studies that have really looked at can exercise be beneficial at preventing the risk of certain types of cancers. Um, and some cancers have, there's more concrete evidence to suggest that it has been. There is some moderate evidence with prostate cancer um, to say that it can be beneficial, but there's ongoing work. So it's not um, you know, the strongest body of evidence, but it is there. And it's in the capacity, not yet of like, how much do we actually do? But it's more in the capacity of just simply doing it. Um, and, and again, getting up and, and having a history of activity behavior is more beneficial than remaining sedentary. And that's going to be hands down and very important to consider for individuals who are concerned about being at risk for cancer and prostate cancer specifically. So this particular field of study that you're in, very exciting, and it's only going to get more so, right? I mean, we, we are learning so much more about the body and how it works at any age. Can't be anything but exciting to look forward to the future. As I mentioned, this is a really burgeoning field, and I think that unique yet perhaps traditional benefits of exercise as it pertains to cancer are going to continue to come out. Really exciting studies looking not only at what types of benefits can we continue to find, but also what types of exercise. You know, I mentioned resistance exercise, but there's many different ways you can do exercise. So I think you're going to start to see more of that coming out. Um, but also in light of COVID, I'd be remiss to not mention that, there's going to be some really unique ways that we can start to do our investigations virtually, but yet still with some oversight by a trained exercise professional so that patients can start to really elicit the benefits by having some supervision and by having a professional oversee their exercise programming and their exercise behaviors. And so that's going to be really exciting to see in the, in the upcoming years. 
Well, we are so uh, thankful that you're going to be speaking at the symposium. Uh, This podcast will live on after the symposium, but (laughs) your knowledge and your enthusiasm is certainly appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Our thanks to Dr. Christina Dielli Conright, one of many important healthcare leaders in prostate cancer detection, research, and treatment, and she'll be speaking at the upcoming symposium. Again, for more about the virtual symposium on May 14th, visit masspcc.org. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer in You podcast, go to masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can also download and listen on Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and with all Android players. This podcast was brought to you in part through a grant from Pfizer. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a fabulous day.